Hello, this is Aaron Eckhart, and you are listening to Center Stage with Mark Gordon, the beautiful one and only Mark Gordon. Center Stage, Center Stage, Center, Center, Center Stage. Center Stage. Welcome to Center Stage. My name is Mark Gordon. On this show, we're going to talk with Tony Dean Smith about his first feature film, the science fiction thriller Volition. It all began while he was in film school. He had developed a story about a scientist experimenting with a drug that would allow him to see 50 seconds into the future. It was written as a short film, but it never got made. He wasn't satisfied, so he put the project on hold. As the years passed, he kept coming back to that original story, reworking and rewriting the screenplay. But he couldn't find the missing piece of the puzzle. He was stuck trapped in a prison of fear. Would he ever finish the film? He thought about where he was and where he wanted to be. At that moment, everything became crystal clear. The one thing that was missing was right there with him all along. You know, eventually I sort of found myself in my life in a place of fear. I found myself kind of stuck and a bit worried that, you know, would I ever make the thing that I want to make? And I realized that that sort of that Fear was a, was a type of prison. It was a perceptual prison. Because whatever I thought about myself, that's what I was going to essentially become. And, you know, it's law of attraction and all of that stuff. But I realized that, oh, that's maybe the missing piece of that old script about the, um, the ability to see in the future. What if it was about a guy who was, an, he had an affliction. This was a sort of a sickness. Um, he, for some reason, he was seeing snippets in front of him, but he didn't know why. And he had lived a very sort of out of sorts existence. So those were the roots of the story. And I'd wrote a first draft pretty quickly based on based on that character. And again, you know, like looking at me, what would it take for me to get over my fears? I, need to, I needed to face a kind of existential death of my pride, of my, you know, all those things. So for James, what would it take an apathetic clairvoyance, a guy who knows everything in the future. Well, the only thing that might change him is for him seeing his own death. And so that was sort of the roots of the story. And that's how we pitched it for a long time. Claire Boyne, who sees his own death. And then my brother came on board, which was the greatest thing to happen to the script because I was telling the story in a very kind of chronological way. And he was always pushing me to like use the clairvoyance and use the clairvoyance on itself was the idea. You can see, if you see without giving anything away, the film does that. And that was a lot of fun because it was actually playing with the form and also playing with the idea of foresight, which is one of the things that always drew me to the project. You know, we all have these voices in our heads saying, do that or don't do that, like make the right choice. I started to wonder, is it possible that that voice is like a future version of ourselves sort of calling back to us to make the right decision? Then I started reading some Philip K. Dick after I'd written the script and he theorized the same thing about time and about life that his theory is the universe is complete and that it's sending signals back to us to try and get us to improve. It's Philip K. Dick, you know, arguably he was having troubles mentally towards the end or he was having some very spiritual insight. But we started playing with that material, then to going into studying quantum physics, the multiverse concept, the universe concept, the observer, how the observer changes the observed. Um, a lot of heady stuff, but, you know, Good, good breakfast talk. There are a lot of creative people out there that never get off the tee box. For some reason, they just can't finish the project. What can you do to break through that if, you, if you're struggling with that? Like, what did you do? 
Mm-hmm. It's a great question, and it's such um, such an important one because I think it's something that all of us struggle with um, in different ways, and I, and I still do because it is. Just, I mean, I come, you know, this is the answer, I suppose, or at least this is a piece of it. There's this really famous Ira Glass quote that I'm going to fully butcher and paraphrase, but he talks about you know when the when the young artist sets out to do something full of passion and, and, and ideas, and then they make the thing. And they step back and they look at the thing and they're like, oh, man, that sucks. I am terrible. I thought I could make that and I'm terrible. Most people walk away there, not realizing that that is the first step towards becoming like a pro. The difference between the pro and the amateur is the, is the pro says, oh, right, that does suck. Good. It means that I have taste. It means I can see something in the external world and say, oh, it's, it's a good attempt, but it's not there yet. The pro keeps on pushing at it and doesn't worry about their pride or what people think or even what they think of their own work. They keep doing it. And then sure enough, the work, I think, always improves. So that's a piece of it for me, you know, realizing that it's okay in the moment that something is not quite good or not quite good enough yet to push through. I keep thinking as well, like, if the powers of the universe, whatever this is, creation, evolution, both, it doesn't matter to me. But if, if evolution had said, ah, oh, you know what, nah. Cro-Magnon, not perfect enough, cancel the whole thing, we wouldn't be here today. And so I just think evolution is such a key part of creativity that we have to give ourselves allowance to think that we suck and then to keep somehow tuning into that joy, that bliss, that inner child that is still there. And don't let the, don't let the manifestation of the work affect the child. Do you think it's pride? Ultimately, pride is the... Yeah. The thing that prevents people from expressing that creativity. I do. I think it. I think it is. I think it's. Um, there's like the real self, which is actually this very fluid, existential observer of us, and then there's the, the facade. And the facade, it's got to be perfect, and it's got to be accepted by people, and it's got to be all these things. And I think that's that's the prison. You know, I think the very things that hold me back from making changes in my life because of fear of my facade being like revealed, not being as good as I think I am or something, whatever pride may be, our character in Volition has the same issue. James, our protagonist, is essentially a know-it-all, you know, because of, his, because of his clairvoyance, he sees everything. So he's really, really a prisoner to his own beliefs. And so it takes, in the same way as like shit going down for me to change, it goes down for him to finally change or at least be open to change. You said it was hard to make this film. What was hard about it? I think there are two levels of the of the difficulty. The first level was just the, the the complexity of the story itself, that it is a real puzzle piece, like Memento or a film like that. It's introducing setups that are going to pay off, and it sort of wraps it on itself in a very unique way. So that was just the writing was just brutal. I mean, Ryan and I, my brother, we both like aged ten years within two years. I'm sure. <laughs> and then the shoot itself, you know, we you know you're supposed to have twelve hour days. Our days went much longer than that. But our crew and our cast loved us and loved the script, and so they were willing to do it. And then I think on a deeper level, I think it just comes back also down to the bit of the psychological side. The other scary thing was just putting anything out there. You know, you want to be good and you want to have things be successful, and I think that's also something that has stopped me in the past and probably stops other people where it's like, yeah, I made the thing, but I'm not going to show anyone. Very often we'll self-sabotage even before we make it. So we don't even have to show somebody, but we can always tell ourselves, oh, we could have, we should have, we would have. 
So I think getting over that nonsense in my own head was um, important. You know, this film to me is the tip of the iceberg as far as what I want to tell and what Ryan wants to tell. This to me is that Ira Glass quote. To me, this is not the most perfect version of, you know, my aesthetic or anything like that. It's, it's important to get it out there and not be a know-it-all like James, the character. I think about um, when I create things, sometimes I, it's the process of the creating that really gets me going. But yeah. it's the finishing is hard because if I finish it, it's done. Yeah, <laughs> it's so true. And also, it's too, so what if it sucks? You know, I've talked about working yeah. on this book for so long and people, wow, that sounds really good, really good. And I go, yeah. and then I go back and rewrite it. And then, but what if it really sucks? Then they're going to find yeah. out that I'm just a total fake. That's the pride and that's the fear. And that's, I think that's, you know, that's the difference between, oh man, the people that I really admire, um, like even like a, you know, I don't make Woody Allen type films, but I love Woody Allen. And like, the, he's just, he's a prolific writer. And that's, he's not as precious as I am is my point, you know? Um, and I think there's something to admire about that. And yet on the other hand, there's also guys like Stanley Kubrick only makes a handful of films and he is very precious about it. And, you know, I would rather only make five films that I'm really behind than 20 that I'm okay with. So that's my struggle. I keep, um, I keep trying to having to bust. What, am I making excuses right now for not doing the, the next thing? Or am I really just trying to be choosy? What inspired you at 12 years old? to be um, a filmmaker? Well, first of all, my father is a magician. So one of my first memories is of my dad standing on a trunk in like his bedroom, putting a curtain up above him, dropping the curtain, and all of a sudden my mom was up there and my dad was locked in the trunk. So magic, illusion, getting reactions from an audience was sort of how I was, I was built. And then he was also a very techie kind of guy, you know, as was my grandfather. And so he had, there were cameras around the house and then finally, you know, I actually met the real magician who kind of moved my life forward, which was Steven Spielberg at a very young age. And I saw E.T. and I just wanted to be like Steve. It just moved me. You know, I also grew up in South Africa, kind of smack in the middle of the apartheid. And so I had very progressive parents. Movies showed me that through work, you can kind of change the world. And I found that the camera allowed me to kind of reshape a little bit of what I wanted to see in, a, in my own way. I remember being a kid and I was a horror fan and right. uh, I did a eight millimeter short film with a friend of mine about Dracula called The Rotten Tooth. My first films as well. I mean, I think I like ripped off a Growing Pains episode about like alligators in the sewer. I tried to make Ghost, the Patrick Swayze, Demi Moore film when I was like 14. Well, is it, that was the film that inspired you, wasn't it? Ghost? It was one of the biggest ones, actually. It's right after we immigrated, right when we got up to Canada, I was doing ghost stories, for sure. I've always been obsessed with, you know, existence, actually, and what it may be and what may be on the other side. Yeah, I sort of come to that stuff very honestly. And so ghost was something that um, lined up with my values at the time, and still does. Growing up, you partnered a lot with your brother, Ryan W. Smith. And mm. uh, what compelled you to write a contract at an early age, that he would have to <laughs> shoot one of your films. Or no, it was um, to be an act, because he was the actor. He would have to be was, an actor in one of actor. your films. Yeah. Well, I think what compelled me was just his seven-year-old defiance. I mean, I couldn't believe that. I mean, I'm this very established 12-year-old director, 
and I have a very important scene to shoot. <laughs> and, you know, a seven-year-old just doesn't understand professionalism. And so <laughs> I had to, and it's very funny, it's, little, it's literally written on like Knott's Berry Farm dinosaur paper, officially as a 12-year-old would. The scene has to be shot. Ryan had to be a pro about it. And uh, I think he's definitely come a long way. And I'm much less of a dictator than I used to be. You went to film school, but uh, your film school was when you were growing up, just experimenting. There's a, a a nice clip of you on IMDb, you and your brother talking about kind of the genesis of your creative collaboration and how you experimented. You didn't know the technical terms for what you were doing. You were just being instinctual. Tell me about that process. Yeah. You know, I always have said that I went to, um, by the time I went to film school, I had made all of my well, I'd made a lot of elementary mistakes so that by the time I got to film school, I can make more advanced mistakes. I didn't know the technical terms as to what I was doing. I just knew that I wanted to do special effects. I just wanted to make movies. So, so I kind of just kind of nuts and bolts learned how to do everything myself. And I also remember I used to read comic books. And I just remember for some reason at a young age realizing that comic books were showing like dynamic of shot sizes. And so I realized, oh, okay, so close up of the door handle cut in camera, then pull out to like a medium of the door opening, cut the camera, then cut to a wide from like the other side of the character walking in. I got that at an early age because of comics. And because there was no editing per se at the time, I had to do it all in camera. So it forced my mind to kind of understand shot dynamics and also the, I think the power of the edit, I suppose. Describe the feeling when you got distribution. <laughs> Yeah, so Volition is being distributed through Giant, um, through the world, and actually through Level Up in Canada. And it's very exciting for us to be with those companies. Starting out, you know, we weren't sure what we were going to do. And we were approached very early on, actually, just based on uh, the concepts and just the log line had gotten out there. And so people were approaching us. Distribution was a sort of that final little bit of validation, I suppose, that somebody else thought enough of film to, to take it out there. Having said that as well, you know, I think we're living in, in such an exciting time now where the distribution sort of landscape has been decentralized in many ways. And so there's lots of avenues to get a film out there, whether it's, you know, straight to VOD and in different avenues or not. Um, it's tougher to play in theaters now, even though we did actually have a theatrical run lined up, but COVID of course has changed everything. So, but all in all, we're thrilled. Yeah. We're so excited that it's, that it's coming out there and um, you know, we're still working away at it. So no rest for us. We don't know what they know. They, they are established, they have relationships, this is what they do. Um, we can certainly try and learn, and we are partners with them. We were involved in the marketing, we're involved in all the decisions because we, we would like to learn how this process works. Do you think that's what makes you a successful filmmaker is that notion of being inquisitive, wanting to learn? Yeah, maybe. Uh, I have thought about that a lot. Uh, I love being wrong. I, I really do. I actually kind of, if you think about it, you can start to really get off on it. Because if you think about the neurons that fire when you get new information, you only get that if you're wrong. <laughs> what would you like an audience to go away with after they see Volition? Um, I mean, first of all, I hope they're entertained. You know, I think the film ultimately and, and primarily is still entertainment. Um, but I think what Ryan and I are, again, very proud of is that, you know, our entertainment, we want to imbue it with as much character and soul as possible. And so I hope the audience gets to see a bit of themselves in the struggle of James and Angela, our protagonists. And 
see themselves in their lives. You know, where are they stuck? What would it take for them themselves to push through and face their fears? And then as well, I hope people just um, enjoy the puzzle. You know, it is a it is a it's a thriller. It's a science fiction, a cerebral science fiction thriller, very much like almost Memento meets True Romance. And so I think they'll have a lot of fun. You know, love is in the air. Um, you know, action is there. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a fun movie. Volition has gotten a lot of awards. I, it, it, yeah. If I started reading every award and every critical acclaim you've gotten, I would be here probably until uh, 2030. Out of, out of all the awards and the praise that you've gotten, do you have a favorite? Um, let me think. I mean, they're all really nice. They're all, you know, again, we were surprised kind of really every time because we didn't make the film to win awards. We didn't make the film as a competitive art piece. I don't think you can have art compete. But I mean, as far as like, you know, on a, on a less uh, lofty level, yeah, I... Um, really proud of the Philip K. Dick Award, which was actually our first award. I just think Philip K. Dick is an incredible philosopher and an author. Um, and so that was really nice. Um, it was a very unique festival. I realized that without even thinking about it, that Elliot, our character, the scientist, looks like, like Philip K. Dick. So that was very funny. And I think the other one, personally, for me, um, it was actually more local. It was the Whistler Film Festival. And the Directors Guild actually awarded me as um, as best director for um, for British Columbia, which is which was nice because it was also in my own community up here in Vancouver, Canada. You know, I've really grown up in this industry and worked with so many of these people, and I've learned from as both as an editor and as an as an up and coming director. I've worked with so many incredible U.S. directors who come up here and shoot, and so I've got to sit in the edit suite and pick their brains and, and see what makes their work tick. So it was just nice to win that award, and it was a testament again. Uh, to, uh, it was a it was evidence that I had gotten out of my own way, at least another step out of my own way. So that was nice. Um, very appreciative of it all, actually. When people look back, so let's flash forward into the future, and people look back upon your career. What would you like them to say about you? I would like them to say that. Um, he was one of many in a lineage of, of artists in different mediums from, uh, Stanley Kubrick to, to John Lennon to you, you name it. I mean, I, I hope that my work made a difference, I suppose. Um, you know, again, volition is really the tip of the iceberg. What I really want to start getting into is, um, concepts of existence and what is death and what is life and what is love. And, but, you know, it, tell that through kind of entertaining stories still. And again, you know, the South African background in me, especially in today's culture, what's happening today in today's world, it's, it's the most important thing for me to try and make reparations in the world. You know, as a young kid, I was always very spiritual and always very progressive. So I really, I would love my tombstone to say he helped in the cause of bringing people together. Volition is currently streaming on Apple TV, Prime Video, and other digital platforms. Until next time, this is Mark Gordon, and I'll see you center stage. Center stage, center stage, center, center, center stage. Center stage. Hello, 
notice is Homer Simpson. Whenever I want to know what's going on in the entertainment world, I listen to Center Stage with Mark Gordon. Hehe. <laughs>